You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Bombing One Muslim Podcast. This is Osma Jaffrey. And this is Seba Hassan. And, you know, we're kind of recovering from our retreat right now, Osma. How are you feeling? What's been going on with you? Nothing. I got back into, you know, I relax by watching TV. Yes, you so do. So I fell into uh, the new season of Rami. And so I am enjoying that thoroughly. Um, I saw, obviously, there's a lot of criticisms about it. And then people either love it or they hate it. There's like no in between. Although I think we're in between because as Azar Osman, one of the comedians that's on the the show and one of the writers, um, and somebody that we grew up with watching mm-hmm. in Isna as like the only the first Muslim comedian, comedian we ever knew. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. It's like what a Muslim comedian who's really a lawyer. Like, oh, that's a career comedian. Uh, yeah, comedy's a career. So you know what he said in response to a lot of the critics is, we're not saying how Islam should be practiced. You know or how Islam should not be practiced, what we're saying is this is what it is. This is the dilemmas that our Muslim families and our youth and our elders, even like all the generations are going through and the social issues that they have to um, face. And whether we love or hate the way they do it, you know, this is what's going on and we need to stop sticking our head in the sand about it. So I really appreciate that. And I, you know, my husband is constantly like, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? I'm just like on the floor, like just, Ha ha. So it's my release. How are you releasing and like getting back into relaxation after the retreat? Well, I I was very excited. My oldest texted in the morning yesterday and was like, I need you to come and see me at school and bring me lots of brown people food. And that is exactly what I did. Um, he is missing home. Five hours cooking. away. We did a two and a half to see him for one and a half hours. And you know what? That's the blessing. That's why we picked a school that was relatively close by so that if he needed to have support, he missed his brothers and his sister. And you know what? That's why we do what we do so that we can make those um, make those trips. And I have to say, I think he wasn't feeling 100%. He's getting every single cold, flu bug known oh, to man. Sorry. So I think just coming and having some like home-cooked food, I think was exactly what he needed. And he stuffed his fridge and he already said he's not sharing. So I, def- <laughs> I definitely appreciated that and being able to see him. And that, and, you know, your kids, for me, my kids are always my release, alhamdulillah. So I am really... Yes really, really grateful for that. But you know what I'm really super grateful for is all the DMs and all the the, the messages that we were getting from people, the fact that we're highlighting such um, a, an intense issue that we we talk about. Um, it's almost to the end of October and it's our domestic violence awareness series. And as we all know, it's a very serious series um, that we've been talking about for a while. One that can sometimes unfortunately be deadly. And that is exactly what happened in the case of Aliyah Muhammad. She was a young wife, a mother, and she was unfortunately shot and killed by her husband, who has since committed suicide during a string of um, Muslim deaths at the hands of their abusers. Um, Aliyah was a Somali immigrant whose family had been part of the community of the Milwaukee Islamic Dawah Center for many years. And this incident left the entire community scarred and devastated. And we 
we are so blessed today to have Brother Will Perry, who is the executive director of the Milwaukee Islamic Dawah Center, um, to kind of give, um, you know, insight onto the other side of um, the table. And we really thank, thank you for being here today, Brother Will. And I wish you could have been here under better circumstances, but you're here nonetheless, and we appreciate it. Assalamualaikum. Welcome to the podcast. Assalamualaikum, my dear sisters, and to your audience as well. Inshallah, I pray for, for your families and, and your listening audience that uh, they have uh, peace and success in this life and the next because that this issue that we're covering today is, is, a, is a very painful one for all of us. I love how you're taking it upstream yes. and talking preventive strategy rather than waiting to receive the 911 and being one of those first responders. But I mean, the reason why we have you on and, you know, not another woman talking about this is because all month long, we've been asking our female guests that work in domestic abuse and domestic violence situations, where are the brothers? What are they doing? And so you have broken a lot of my stereotypes coming to the table thinking they're completely tone deaf and they don't know what's going on. But I, I do, I hope you appreciate the fact that historically Muslim women going to the masjid with these kinds of issues and saying, I am not safe. They were told to have patient sister. They were turned away. So if she didn't report it to you, I can understand completely why. But as you pointed out, she talked to somebody. Mm -hmm. And why didn't that somebody intervene? What resources does the MIDC have for somebody to come forward and say, hey, a sister in the community is experiencing this. What do we do, Sheikh? Let me tell you something. I got a t- I got a team of guys here, particularly men. I have sisters too, but I've got some guys. I've got some soldiers here who will go into the house and drag this guy out if we have to. We're strong and we're here. We go get him. We go get him. Okay. No, we handle that. I mean, and it and it's and it's been you know we we make that very clear that we protect the safety of our sisters in particular. Yeah. The, the guy the guys doing this. So if you don't hear about it, if if you don't hear about it, that means it's behind closed doors and they're not going to let this thing get out. Because yeah, they know yeah. their brother Will and, and, the, and the team at the Dower Center is going to come and address that. And so, but the brothers have a support system here too. If you've got some issues, a lot of guys are, in particular, I deal with a lot of guys that are coming home from the institution, right? So a lot of guys here are dealing with new relationships and relationships that have been around for a long time. So you got a little bit of both. So I'm dealing with a lot of guys who have been incarcerated for a long time and getting back into the relationship, being get, getting back into this uh, the issue of marriage and so on. So I'm dealing with that from guys who are 40, 50, 60 years old. Some of the guys have never been married. Some of the guys have never been married because they've been locked up for 20 and 30 years. Some of these guys have been gone for a long time. So I'm at both ends of the spectrum from the young guys that are just getting getting started to the older guys who are just getting started and everything in between. So we've got to have a support system for the guys there, too, to yeah. teach them how to be men, to, yes. to help to groom them from. I'm going to guys that are down at uh, Ryok. It's a, it's a youth offenders organization, uh, institution down there to have guys there from 14 to 25. So these guys are in this. They're still in high school. So these guys got to learn their religion. They got to learn what relationships are all about, mm-hmm. what really true manhood is all about. So we have an opportunity to work with them on, on that on a weekly basis with some of those guys. And so the issue of relationships comes up all the time and how we're supposed to be the maintainers and the protect, protectors of women and how the best of us are the ones who are best to their, to their, to their wives and to their women. And so <clears throat> that stuff has to be led by example, though, too. Yes. As I had mentioned, I mean, my... 
My kids are my kids are 40 something, 20 something to 40 something. So I've got kids at all. And I've got grandchildren that are probably about 11, 12 years old. Right. Right now, two, two sweet uh, granddaughters that I have. And so after being married, really all of my adult life, at least 45 years, I've been married. So I've been I've been in that position and been responsible for someone else for for a long time. So I bring a little a little experience to the table <laughs> for the guys who either are married, who are either looking to get married, or who just have want to have that conversation about being res- responsible for someone else. So if they want that other half of their life to be complete, you got to go about it the right way, you know. So we have pretty prophets and messengers, so a lot of the Selim and those that came before us. All you got to do is take a look at some of those examples That's exactly and some right. of the people around you that have been through that that are some good models for you and try to model yourself and try to pick up some of those, some of those tips and on some of that experience because the experience is the best teacher. It's the best teacher for it. You can read about it. You can look at it on a YouTube video or whatever, but if you haven't lived through it, it's just not the same thing. It's not the same thing. I I definitely appreciate it. And I appreciate that you um, are, are explaining to our audience about learning through example, right? And, and, and practicing what you preach and really understanding the religion, the way that it was supposed to be practiced um, and how men are supposed to treat women. But that's not necessarily how people are receiving that right. particular message. So what is it that we can do as a community um, on a whole to kind of help support this messaging that you are, it sounds like you guys are starting to do so that these types of events don't, like you said, there isn't a match that strikes and it all blows up. What can we do along the way to help be that advocate for that sister or even the brother that is maybe in that situation and looking for help on how to manage his emotions? What can we do as a community to help make sure this, what happened to Aaliyah doesn't happen to another one of our sisters? You know, that's it. That's on two, that's on two levels. Okay. The first is um, just before the incident, we had, uh, I had the one sister who's a mental health specialist just happened to come in one day and I said, you know what, sister, we should take a look at doing something where the sisters meet on a weekly basis, a support group for the sisters. So yes. we have some health, some mental health and healthcare professionals that are sisters that are here, members of our masjid here. So they meet every Friday and sometimes they come in on Saturdays. So they have that, they have that group that support group that can talk through some of those things and address some of those issues right here at the masjid. And for the guys we have, they, they meet on Saturdays, particularly like the young guys, the 20 somethings, the teenagers, they, they're meeting, they're meeting on a weekly basis also. And this all took place before the, before the incident to try to get them back to the masjid. Okay. So they, they have them that guidance, have that, the, uh, uh, an opportunity to kind of meet with one another with some of the elders and so on and kind of have those discussions. Now, on the on the other end, like with their fathers and with their uncles, now those are the guys we got to grab and get either on. Most of them only come in on Fridays. And most of those guys you see at uh, where we have the Eads and those guys will see if if we have an incident at their house. That's when we get a chance to touch base with them because their fathers and uncles aren't coming here on a regular basis. So unless unless there is something that's an issue, then they'll talk to the man or they'll talk to Brother Will. Okay, I've got I've got this issue. And a lot of them, unfortunately, they try to suppress that. You know, they're going to hold on to that stuff. They know they've got an issue or something, whether that be again, it comes down to kind of three 
mental health, substance abuse, or anger management, anger issues. So usually those three are the, are the top three that are kind of causing a lot of conflict between, between the, the husband and wife and with the children. Um, so which we, have, we do have mental health and substance abuse specialists within the community that that first service is available to everybody. So we make those announcements on a regular basis. We send them out on, on, on blast on our social media, on our announcements, that those services and those resources are available. So we do that on a regular basis. But sometimes you got to go to the you got to go to the living room. Sometimes you got to get up and go to the homes. If the kids say something, brother, will imam, there's something going on at home. I think you should address that. We have no problem with, you know, being unannounced. The kids invited us. We're going to the house and have that conversation with the parents, with the father in particular. So when you're going in there with three or four guys in there or myself and maybe the imam going in there together. We have we have a listening ear. We have some impact on the, on, on the guys. So. And we have we have no problem in going right there to his living room and having that discussion with the guy. Because some guys is just a it's a, it's a one on one individual circum and everybody's circumstance is a little bit different. But we know that we have the resource and the capacity, and the experience in our community to go right to the to the living room and address that right at their living room, if that be the case. I am just loving that because I have I I have not grown up with a masjid administration or board that has such a one-on-one kind of direct, we're just going to show up to the house situation because most people that I've grown up with are like, Oh no, that's a personal matter. That's a personal matter. And if she's not complaining to the Imam, then it's none of our business. She's the one that's, you know, responsible for, you know, undoing her pressure or whatever. So I really appreciate that. But you mentioned something at the beginning that is really important that we need to be talking about this in our communities and that, uh, we need to be talking about it in our masajid. So is domestic violence something that is spoken about in a khutbah? I am 45 years old. I have never heard a khutbah really? on domestic violence oh my and domestic gosh. abuse. Never, not once. Man, on, on after after the in- incident, unfortunately, every masjid in the city of Milwaukee had a, had a, had a khutbah mm-hmm. on that. And it was delivered by very respected uh, khatibs at the time. One of the pretty uh, aggressive about the fact. Okay. So up to the point where, you know, just want to try to grab the guys and, and, and choke them into some sense. So, uh, yeah. And that's something that we have no problem whatsoever with with addressing that issue on, on the member, particularly here at the Dallas Center. We we cover it all. And what we do is it's unique about us is that we have visiting khatibs that come in every Friday. There's somebody different coming in every Friday. So those khatibs that are coming in, they're coming in from all over the place. So we can take that right back to the monsters where they came from. And so we make sure that everybody who comes through here, we give them a theme. And we'll, if, we're, if we're something on, on one in particular, like domestic violence or whatever it is for that particular uh, week or month, we stay on that. We stay on that consecutively for, uh, for, for some time before we let that go until something else comes up. And that uh, we've got a lot of material material on that. We have one sister's group um, with some sister's group that uh, that we plugged into the sisters that have they have healthcare professionals, mental health professionals also that the sisters have access to. And what we do, we'll have them come in and do some workshops here from time to time also, but also just have that contact with the sisters. So you have the, those professionals that can help you deal with some of that domestic issues and stuff that's maybe a little bit outside of the expertise of any ma'am and so on. So we do have that yeah. expert uh, resources as well. So I know that that part is really critical for for, for all of us, men and women. Yeah, because I think it's important, um, an important, a critical actually arm of prevention, because like you said, like after the after Alwia's death murder, um, this is 
you know, this was talked about on the member, but the member is a place to reach the men, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, if men are 10 times more likely to be the perpetrators of violence against women, yeah. um, including their wives, their intimate partners, then how do we access them in the Muslim community? And I really think the onus is on men yeah. to get up on the member and talk to them. Cause that may be, like you said, some of those uncles, that's the only access you have to them. Cause that's yeah. like the one time they yeah. have to come to the masjid. So they're going to come once right. a week. Yeah. And why aren't we taking advantage of that? And making it a regular part of the khutbah schedule. Like, oh, by the way, did you buy your wife flowers? Oh, by the way, did you tell her how wonderful she is? Just remind them to do those prophetic things that they should be doing anyway. You know, but maybe that's the sunnah that they didn't choose, but the sunnah that they, you know, the that fabricated hadith of like, um, if there is anybody my wife could make such that to it would be Oh yeah, they love that one. Uh, yeah, the guys like that. And they that, love but, that one. It's yeah, like it's love, a weak hadith. It's not yeah, even true. Yeah. And, and the, the thing is, why is that your focus when you're in focus on each other's rights? What's what what are, what are her yeah. rights? What <laughs> are her rights? Right. What are her rights? So you're addressing her rights first. I mean, that's what you agreed upon in the first place. That's what the contract was all about. She, you understand mm-hmm. what those rights are. So if each other knows what each other's rights are, then you then you got it covered. But if you're focusing on what's what's in it for me, then you're going to have a problem. Then you're going and it's not balanced. Yeah. It is nowhere near the sunnah if you only focus on what my, my, my rights are, what you're supposed to do for me, so to speak. But uh, that's a that's a learn that so in some ways that's that's a cultural thing. But in other ways, it's just a, it's, it's, it's a male type of environment thinking that, you know, I'm entitled to this or that. But they don't. Most of them don't know. Most of them had no idea. Yeah. They've been growing up in a certain environment culturally and whatever. That's the way they grew up. And that's how they that's how they know. But they just have to be have to be re-educated and retaught on that. If you want to have a, a fulfilling life with that with your partner, you gotta get that stuff straight. Dr. Sadaf Lodi, an American-born certified OBGYN, is talking about everything sex-related. Woman, mother, Muslim. She talks about the birds and the bees and everything in between. No shame, no judgment, and no topic is taboo. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. We're a mom of the next generation of American Muslim children. So part of our responsibility is to teach and inform them these exact things. What are their rights if they're, you know, on both ends? What are their responsibilities on both ends? And I do feel having access to that information, um, you know, from the ground up is, is exactly where we need to start. Um, that's first and foremost to, to kind of prevent some of these issues and, and focusing, like you said, it, in taking our head out of the sand, we as a community have mental health issues. We have substance abuse issues. We have mm-hmm. anger issues. And to deny that means we can't fix the problem. So part of what we are trying to do here on the podcast is to shed light on it, provide the resources, and help push our our, our next generation forward. So I love the fact that you guys are doing it um, seemingly at, um, at at the Milwaukee at the Milwaukee um, mosque. And I really appreciate that. But we kind of need to have that go. Like Uzma said, she has not heard a kutbah. I have not heard a kutbah. And I grew up in the Chicago area where we, yeah. you know, which was one of the quote unquote OG um, uh, Muslim organizations back in the day. And I didn't hear that. So what hope do we have in trying to spread that awareness? I feel like it's an uphill battle and, and you guys are doing a great job, but how do we make that information readily available and almost a compulsory thing for all masjids in the area? 
You know, and that's where you talk about the leadership on 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 a, on a higher level. You know, you talk on Isna Ikna and all those and all those folks who've got access to everybody. You've got you've mm-hmm. got the availability to everybody. So why aren't you having on that level having that conversation? Yes. If you've got national access and you're supposed to be the ones who are, are guiding and directing the larger community, then why aren't you having that conversation? I mean, yeah, if the guys are doing it locally, that's all. All that's happened is local. So as as a result mm-hmm. of that, only a few get that get that help and support. While yes. the greater the greater number, you know, are still banging on the door, you know, howling and screaming, letting you know this is not this is not right. So if you don't if you don't address that, you know, you're going to you're going to always have a uh, have an issue, you know, that's going to be one that's going to be so, so deep in our community that it's going to be really tough to fix. And now what happens? Families get fragmented. The children yes. have no guidance at all. So a lot of our children who are going to a lot of a non-Muslim schooling environments or so on, and they don't have the tools they need to make those decisions and relationships and all of that. They don't have that. So if they're not prepped, what do you expect? What do you expect? If they see, if they don't have the guidance that should be coming from home, if they don't have the guidance that should be coming from the masjid, whether that be the imam, whether it be the director, whether that be some sort of resource at the masjid, because that's the next, that's the first, other than the home, that's the first area of support, right? That's where your foundation is. If you can't get it there, then you're going to go try to find it somewhere else. Yes. And that somewhere else is not going to be in your best interest because somewhere else is less than what Islam says how it should be. So we have enough room within our, within our, within our religion that we can address all of that. We have, we have the perfect examples already. We just have to put that to use. And yes. stop just trying to put this up on a pedestal, put it behind the, you know, uh, the towers and whatever. Hey, you know, like the sister said, you know, just be patient. No, that's that's not good enough. And if you don't have the skills and you need to find somebody who does. If the imam, you can't put all that on the imam because the imam may not have all those skills to handle that. Yes. He's got to be able to say, OK, you know, I need some help. We got to take a look, restructuring this this relationship the imam is having with the community. And not that everybody just comes into my office and sit down in my chair. I listen to the couple. I tell the sister to be patient. I tell the brother, okay, you know, you do this or do that. And then they go back to the same thing. But you got to have, you got to put, in some cases, you got to put some fear in these guys. Because I'm looking at this, you're looking at the sisters and she, and her, her face tells a story. Her face and body language tell the whole story. She may not say much there, but her body language and her face is telling you everything. Then when I leave here, this guy is going to say something or do something to me once we leave this little meeting or whatever. However... Peaceful Family Projects yeah. does offer uh, an imam training on yeah. domestic abuse. Oh, However, excellent. it's just in the Virginia area, but it is right. a training that's available nationally. So right. I would encourage the yeah. imams, the directors, anybody who's listening to this particular episode, tap in there and get your imams trained. Because you're right, the imam can't be expected to do, to do everything. But if they have the right tools and know what right. resources, yeah. mainstream resources we can use in conjunction with our you know, sharia, which is beautiful, yeah. Yeah. it's just been polluted by culture, misunderstanding, and ignorance, then I think they'll be better equipped to deal with it. And we won't have another 911 call like you had to deal uh, with recently this summer. So in regards to that. I, uh, and so if we want to get right into mm-hmm. it, I, uh, I was on my way home from, uh, from, the, from the masjid praying Isha prayer, and I get a phone call. And uh, and this phone call is from someone I ordinarily don't get a phone call from. Okay, so I know there's a sense of urgency on just the fact that this individual called me. So the brother called me and says, I just got a phone call from my sister who lives on such and such street. And she's heard there was a shooting that took place. 
and she knows that there are Muslims that live in the area and she knows the family and the sister that called is non-Muslim. Mm-hmm. So we have a, a very close relationship with the, with the community that the, that the families lived in. And so they know to give a call to get a hold of Brother Will at the Dower Center because they know that's where they need to call and find out. They need to call the distress. As you know, I'm a retired firefighter. So this is a 911 call. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm turning around immediately. I, and I'm on, as I'm on my way to this location, I'm called making three phone calls to guys that I know that are right now and available. The guys I just prayed with and the guys that live close to that area. So as I, as I make this U-turn and heading towards that location, right away, I'm going into 911 mode. That's, the, you know, this scenario, this, uh, this emergency call that's made. What could be the potential of what's going on at that location? So as I pull up about two blocks away, so I'm doing my assessment, right? So I'm seeing that the streets are really, are really quiet. And that's usually not a good sign, at, you know, mm-hmm. at 9, 10 o'clock at night. And so as I get a, around the corner, because there now the traffic's been de- de- deterred, been, I've been moved into another. So then I see the lights mm-hmm. then I see the blue lights. And so and I get about a block or so away. Now I see the yellow tape. And as I get out of my car and I'm walking towards that location, it's really dark. So a lot of those street lights are out. And so as I get to this location and now I see the sisters in a large group sitting outside, Mm. all the Somali sisters in the community for the most part, and all of them young sisters, all the teenagers and 20-somethings, I'm seeing their faces as I'm walking up to the the scene here. And then on the other side of the street, I see the uh, the neighbors that are sitting out watching. And and then I notice then the police officers are there. And so as I make my way towards the center of all of this, I then see three of my sisters, the young sisters, these these are my 20-somethings, teenage sisters. And I see one of the sisters holding a baby. And so now right away, you know, I'm I'm thinking that, I mean, certainly I know the scene, given the, given, I'm trying to make this as graphic as possible for you and and Mm -hmm. your audience that what this sort of thing looks like and the trauma that's taking place and what's going on, all the emotions taking place on all the folks that are around that's, that are involved. And so <clears throat> I find out <clears throat> that it's a case where the, the brother killed his wife. The case where he then turned the gun on himself. And I'm asking them, and then he said, he, they, have a, they have a little baby. They have a little baby. And I said, well, where is the baby? And so the little one was killed by one of the aunties that lived upstairs was holding the baby and they were sitting out front um, while the scene was being um, processed and investigated by the police department. The two were still inside the building when I got there. So they were still there. So <clears throat> now for me, it's um, this incident has taken place. Now I know, and I can feel all the tension in the air around with the, uh, with, particularly with the, uh, the sisters that are there. And so I go over to them and to uh, an immediate try to diffuse that and try to calm that and try to offer them some support right then and there because I, I know what they're going. These are young sisters that are that are sitting out here and really don't know what happened, but they 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 ha- they have an idea what what happened. And so <clears throat> it's about fifty sisters outside sitting outside on the lawn. So I'm having a discussion with them in um, in trying to comfort them and trying to offer some sense of. Uh, of uh, my condolence to them and the family, because this, this, young, this young couple, both of them, 
they attended services here at the mosque. So I know them and I know their families. I know their parents and all that. So I've got a son and daughter with actually my grandchildren. My son, my grandchildren are in there. And this thing has gotten to the point where it's, it's deadly for both for both people. And why and why and how do we get to that? I, that's that's my how do we get to that? Somebody in the community knows something. Did someone have an idea that some tension like that was going on for it to get to this point? Well, that's a that's a whole nother story, you know. And that's the, all the 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 the, the uh, concerns. And I I thought I saw something, and and someone the, the sister said something. She reached out to somebody because I know the sisters talk. I know they communicate. She communicated with somebody in there, within her family, within her community. If even the neighbor that's two houses down or so knew there was some trauma going on, there was some stress going on, but nobody addressed that. Nobody addressed that. Nobody came to the mosque and said, hey, Brother Will, we're having some problems. The young man, I saw him here praying maybe one Friday or whatever, and I, I saw him and I didn't know who it was until the guy showed me the picture. And once I saw the picture of the sister, because I know who she, I know her, because she comes to the mosque on a regular basis also. But the young man, I only I only saw him every now and then. So now, you know, all this stuff is going through my head. I'm having conversations with the men that are there. I'm having mm-hmm. conversations with the women that are there. I'm having a conversation with the mothers and the grandmothers that are there. Is that how and why? No one saw this tension going on. No, I mean, this powder keg, this thing to explode. Why is it no one talked to one another? Why is it when the sister reached out, some of the aunties and the, the young sisters that she communicates with, why didn't they see that? And why didn't they address that? Because once you bring it to me, then we've I've got something to work with. I mean, and, and you, once you bring it to me, it's kind of too late. Don't wait until, you know, this thing is boiled over. And now you're certainly I'm here for the 911 call. But on the front end of that, we've got to have some of those conversations at the mosque or at home, whether that be in your living room or whether that be when the sisters are are meeting, wherever that takes place. You know, Islamically, that's that's how that's how we move. We communicate and sisters in particular are always communicating with one another. If you've got all these social media outlets and you mean to tell me somewhere that didn't happen, where the sister had some conversation with the other sisters or with the family members, somewhere she let somebody know that she was in trouble. She met she let somebody know that she was potentially in danger. She didn't know to what extent, but she knew the background of her of her husband at the time. She knew that. But but and maybe she may have communicated that to some folks, but they didn't address that. They really didn't address that. And so that's a missing link for that's a missing link for us. That communication right. between the between the old and the young, between the male and the female, between the masjid and the families and so on. That stuff is critical and it's crucial because a lot of that, you know, in hindsight, that stuff could have been addressed really in a in a long, long down the road, even at the point the, the two considering even getting married, because whatever issues that the brother had, he had that coming to the table. Yes. He had some mental health issues or he had some substance abuse issues. He had an anger issue of something in there. Somebody knew something. Somebody saw some of those signs, but they re, you know, did, refused to, to address them or to deal with it. So in some cases, you know, this, in, in, in all cases, the sisters have a right to decide, hey, who I'm going to marry, who I'm not going to marry. You say, I know something about this guy that maybe my father, my uncles don't know. There's a talk around this guy's got a temper. There's a talk around this guy's got a mental health issue. And so we go back to the parents forcing the girl to get married to somebody that, hey, I don't, this is not a good match for me. 
I don't know if some of that took place or not, but it could have taken place, but it, maybe it wasn't, it wasn't addressed. It wasn't listened to. You talked about the immediate um, addressing the community's need right there on the lawn after it happened acutely. But since then, has the media attention, because remember this summer, it was like, I think in Milwaukee, it was like six women were killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah right in that same Domestic month. abuse, right? Yeah, and then yeah. nationally, we yeah. had Muslim women dying left and right at the hands of their abusers. Yeah. Did you notice uh, media attention was kind of focused from an Islamophobic angle, like, oh, Muslim men always kill their wives kind of thing when you were addressing this as the director of MIDC? And then in addition to responding to the media, what did you do later for the community yeah. to support them? Yeah. After the loss of such a beautiful human being in your community, yeah, it's um, that's 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 not an easy one. Again, that's like my my daughter and granddaughter, you know. So it's an emotional thing for me to even just talk about it and think about it, and uh, and so it's a, you know it takes it takes some courage to do the right thing. Sometimes it takes it takes courage and should t- and it takes courage and a, a sense of uh, supposedly leadership on the part of those who have the opportunity to mm-hmm. make a change and to address some issues. So I'm just saying to the leaders out there, you need to have the courage to do the right thing, to support to support our sisters and support the idea of educating our imams and whoever that is has the res- that have the responsibility of leadership in our community to take that stand on that. This cultural this cultural issue, man, is it's been one that's been uh, counterproductive for us. Mm-hmm. It's been counterproductive, and it's, and in many cases, it's un-Islamic because you say this is the way it's always been done, but no, that doesn't make it right. Right. That doesn't make it. That doesn't make it right. So you know, from this from this point forward, we've just really have to co- have been communicating o- more openly with our young people in particular, starting with our young folks, and that. Uh, so we have the groups that meet here every week, and now that the kids are back to school, they're coming in, they're spending more time in the masjid on the weekends, and so now as a result of that, we're seeing some of the fathers coming to the masjid and spending a little bit more time on the weekends with the kids. And now, so now we had another, uh, taking another step, trying to have a, a circle for the men where they actually have some of these guys that come to the masjid other than the Friday and other than the Eids to try to, to try to strengthen that relationship, understanding and, and admitting to the fact that, hey, we do have some issues that aren't being addressed. There's some stuff under the carpet that we're not in the closet or whatever that's not coming out. And it's going to be like a bottle keg that's going to explode at some point in time on something. Sometimes with some guys, they end up just leaving the family. Some guys end up, uh, you know, going on, getting involved with alcohol. Some guys end up just finding finding a, another companion or something, thinking that that's going to solve the problem at home. When the issue is you, you're not addressing your you're not addressing yes. your baggage that you're taking along somewhere else. That's not the answer. So that's the lifeblood of the masjids is having the families here that everybody feels comfortable, everybody feels safe. It's a place where we can come to and share some of those issues that are are sort of considered to be taboo or we don't have those conversations, but you should be able to do it. And this should be one of the safest places to do that. And yes. that's, that's, we got to make that available to all of our community. Inshallah, every masjid will be that safe space for our families. So yeah. we pray for that. We pray that you never get another 911 call. May none of us ever get the 911 call Inshallah. and, yeah. you know, then have to worry about the media dodging that happens like no this yeah. is every community is susceptible to this it's not just a muslim problem it's right. an yeah. everybody problem 
Yeah. When you mentioned um, that, before I forget, you did ask me that. So in the interview I had, I think I had a couple of uh, one or two uh, of the uh, media came by. And so it wasn't an issue mm-hmm. of just focusing on Muslim. I said, you know, this is certainly this is what's new for us. I mean, we had never experienced that in our community before. So mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't focus in on the Islamophobia kind of approach. It was a broader approach that, that the uh, newscaster okay. said, OK, brother, Will, you know what? We've had X amount of, of uh, uh, suicide, suicide, uh, had X number of homicides in our community for, uh, against women. And I didn't know that until she brought it up. And I said, you know, this is this is huge. So she 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 brought that to my attention. At, at that time, it was like seven. And then wow. so on a, mm-hmm, on, a, on a national scale and that was just locally here. And then so she brought my, that to my attention and raised my awareness on that, that it's really even a more of a, a, a national issue. And so that's why we become more more involved in that and realizing, hey, it's a it's a it's a piece for all of us to take some responsibility for. And yeah. so, yeah, yeah, they did. So they didn't try to they didn't try to narrow us down and put us in a corner on that one. No, they didn't. At least the local media didn't do that with me. Good, good. Alhamdulillah. And that makes me really happy to hear because we want to put our best foot forward, but very authentically as a community that does support its families and its women. And it sounds like MIDC is doing that. So we'll include a link in our show notes for MIDC that appears to have not only the posse of my dreams, but also the women's programming and the men's programming that every masjid needs for every single generation. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give the MIDC more barakah and um, success and for you, inshallah, to have peace in your masjid family. Inshallah. Thank you. You for your same for you and your families and communities as well for both of you. Inshallah and Amin. Thank you guys so much. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzman Momming while Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Mommy While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.